Good morning. This is our uh, Diocese of Lansing Watcher podcast. And uh, September the 1st, 2021. It's been three weeks since our last podcast. Much is going on. First of all, we've got the uh, allergy season coming in, so I'm not uh, as robust as I normally am. But in any case, we've got realignment going on in the Diocese of Lansing. We've got lots of inconsistencies. And we have, as our special guest, Randy Engel. And why she's appropriate is that uh, in the realignment, we just had a, uh, a public meeting. We have uh, the diocese is coming and, and wanting, is, is saying they want input. They're focusing on, on priests and properties, totally ignoring Randy Engel. Their own expert tells them, reported to us, that in five years, in a five-year term, the diocese lost 20% of its, uh, of its faithful. And so one of our uh, listeners says, you know, what kind of organization can, can hang around every five years they lose 20% of their market? It's talked about mission, mission, mission. So I just want to... Uh, comment here about this realignment and community so what that means is is that they are going to begin to consolidate parishes and uh, one or two one parish becomes two uh, two parishes might be congregated with three or four and but there is the uh, Vietnamese parish which is a dedicated parish it stays as is which is understandable, and then there's the uh, the Ann Arbor Parish in Ann, uh, in the University of Michigan, St. Mary's, which has the Jesuits. Now, uh, and they're going to most likely hang their, their special parish. Now, in the context of all of this, as a watcher community, and we take uh, uh, our mission statement to watch from the history of the church, from the USCCB uh, report, on the crisis in the church, that uh, somebody has to correct the bishop. Part of the correcting of the bishop is to point out inconsistencies. So <clears throat> we are a voice for the voiceless. Some of the voiceless are those who are exiles from community. So somebody that is a problem child at one parish, and who, what a problem child is is simply you may disagree with the bishop, with the bishop or you may offer criticism of the priest, and you're exiled. What does exile mean? You get a trespass warning, uh, meaning you're you're not welcome there. If you don't leave, they'll call the police, and they have called the police on people, and or uh, they they they've sued people. They say they've sued people that well I've gone they've gone to court. It's not really a lawsuit. I go to court. Well, I, you know they start playing games. So you know it's a public record. We look at it. I looked at Black's Law Dictionary. It's a lawsuit. Interesting enough, is that. They limit the commentary on a YouTube live broadcast to 200 words. I understand that. They begin talking about the realignment, and there are things they don't want to talk about. One is they don't talk about this loss of population of 20%. They don't talk about Randy Engel. She's got a voice to offer. They don't answer the questions. They limit, and they, they it's a tell and sell. And I'd like to offer, why not bring the Jesuits out of Ann Arbor to Flint? 
Well, the, the, the community down there in Ann Arbor, the University of Michigan, St. Mary's, is rightly so. is so we got a nice community. We don't want to consolidate. We don't want the Jesuits taken away. We don't want anybody else brought in. Well, why is that? Because we got community. Well, oh, my God, isn't that true? Well, we've had community up here. We are the exiles, but they're telling us one parish is good as the next. They told HH, you know, we represent grievance, uh, people who they don't want to accommodate, people who are voices mentally ill, cause a problem, and they and uh, we get an agreement to bring them back, and oh, you know, no, she, you can pray anywhere. We can't have masses for the person at the parish. And if we ask for masses, we get booted out or harassed by the clergy. What's that all about? And then, so that's what brought us to this podcast in the beginning, the right of sodomy. Thinking, who's behind all this inconsistency? The Vietnamese can have a dedicated parish. Why? Because community is important. That's why. And the St. Mary Parish on the University of Michigan, student parish, can keep the Jesuits. They're intact. They're dedicated. They don't have to worry about the disruption of their community. That's important. Well, that's exactly right. But by God, if you are targeted, and Randy Engel's talking about people, you're not deserving of community. We can't have masses are masses. Have them anywhere said. What's wrong with a mass said at another parish? So I'm going to try to develop this a little bit better so you understand that there's rules for thee, but not for me. There's, uh, there's hypocrisy going on. So... They're excluding us from our home community. They're telling people that, look, and this is uh, uh, lobbies in the church. They're telling people that, look, a mass here in your home parish uh, for Heather, you can have it anywhere. Okay, okay. Uh, you, you want prayers? Because we're not going to have it in your home parish. Uh you want prayers for her on the community prayer? Pray anywhere. You don't have to pray here. And you know what? You can go to another parish. One parish is as good as the next. Oh, tell that to the Vietnamese. They're not going to do that because it's not. Community is community. Tell that to people who are married that, you know, you just, they used to do wife swapping and uh, spouse swapping. They don't do that because it, there's unity there. What about the dedicated parish in St. Mary's? So how I advocate is great. You guys were offered to have consistency in community and solve the problem. Say to the priest, you've got somebody here who is caused you a problem. They're admittedly mentally ill. You don't want them around. They go in, instead of jail, they go to the hospital. They get fixed. They get accommodated. We got two, four, six, at least three couples that will sit by him. You agreed to accommodate him, and now you don't want him back. And then the official line from the parish to the diocese is, hey, you can pray for him, have mass anywhere. Great. We're going to drive a Mack truck through that exception because we're going to China. We're going to start Zooming, and I saw my first Zoom offer from Vietnam in both English and Vietnamese to come on to the special mass. And we're going to take that up. So with that in mind, I dedicate this podcast to the concept of Zooming in, uh, to, to meet the needs of the inconsistent behavior and thought processes going on in Lansing. And we're watchers. And we're there, according to the, dice, to the USCCB, the bosses of the bosses, to correct the bishop. 
And there ain't no better correction than to have you drink from the cup you have us drink from. So if community's not important and it's and communities like fungible good, fungible goods like corn, one community is as good as the next, one set of prayers is as good as the next, one set of masses is as good as the next, and we don't want you back in your home parish, exile people. We are exiles from our own parish that we built. They never gave us back our money, but but you admit in your realignment process that uh, look, there's community that can't be replaced. The Vietnamese are a dedicated community, but we're not. The uh, Jesuits are a dedicated community. St. Mary's students, which is true, really. We're 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 we are we are pushing back and pulling, pushing and pulling at their own inconsistencies and make them eat their words. Well, we, well, think about this when I talk about Randy Engel. She could have been a witness on why we're doing the realignment, why we're losing 20% every five years. No no interest in that. Our own expert tells the bishop, Bishop, we lost 20% of our people in five years. No word about that. All they're doing is focusing on priests. They're managing the decline, priests and properties. I give you Randy Engel. We left off at page 836. The Gay-Friendly Diocese of Lexington. This is the Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, Volume 4. And they don't want this woman having a voice. So when they don't want this woman having a voice as a watcher community, we are compelled to correct the bishop that you're giving us 100% institutional church when there is also human dignity. Institutional church is not what the Catholic Church is all about. There's other flavors, there's other lives in the church, and human dignity precedes that brick and mortar, that institutional church, both precedes in time and honored position. You have the Petrine profile and you have the Marian profile. You got a lot going on here. The Gay Friendly Diocese of Lexington. Under Bishop Williams, the Diocese of Lexington became gay-friendly like most Catholic dioceses in the Commonwealth. Williams permitted his priests to continue to say Mass for dignity, Lexington, along with the Vatican, long after the Vatican had forbidden it. Homosexual priests in the Diocese of Lexington, such as Father Kenneth Wabel, openly and freely proclaimed the Gospel of Sodom. Father Wabel, who believes that only faggots can be truly Christ-like was a featured speaker, facilitator, at the September 1997 Fourth Annual Conference of the National Association of Catholic Diocesan Lesbian and Gay Ministries, hosted by the Los Angeles Archdiocese at the Sheraton Hotel in Long Beach, California. Father Weibel then passed through St. Mark's Church and St. Stephen, the Martyr Church in Richmond, Kentucky, spoke on gay and lesbian spirituality. According to Father Weibel, heterosexual men cannot fall in love with Jesus Christ because of their own homophobia. He concluded uh, his talk with the statement that God doesn't care about sex, but cares about how we care about the person we are having sex with. Bishop Williams supposedly sent Weibel on a six-month sabbatical when the priest told the chancery he wanted to leave the priesthood. In fact, Weibel was sent, on a psychiatric, sent to a psychiatric unit at St. Mary's in St. Louis for evaluation and treatment. When he returned to the diocese, uh, Williams assigned him as pastor of St. Joseph Church and sacramental minister to St. Patrick's at Mount Sterling. Wabel continued to say Mass for dignity 
groups and bless same-sex unions. By the spring of 2002, clerical sex abuse scandals started to climb in the Diocese of Lexington. Attorneys for the abuse victims claimed that Bishop Williams and Lexington Chancery knew about the criminal conduct of clerical molesters, but covered it up. In April 2002, Williams joined with Bishop Joseph Amesh of the Joliet Diocese in suspending Reverend Carol Howland, pastor of Good Shepherd Chapel in Whitley City, McCreary County, pending an investigation. Although the incarnated in the, although incarnated in the Diocese of Joliet, Reverend Howland had worked in the Lexington Diocese for 25 years. Howland was accused of molesting a 15-year-old boy studying in the now-defunct St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Lockport, Illinois. The alleged abuse was reported to have taken place during Jan between January and July 1975 at both the seminary and in, and in McCreary County in Kentucky, where the priest used to bring high school students for mission work. A second lawsuit was filed against Howland, accusing him of assaulting another young man during a Wisconsin camping trip. Additional lawsuits were filed against major serial offenders, including Reverend William Fetters, Reverend Arthur L. Wood, deceased, and Reverend Luis E. Miller. Sexual solicitation in the confessional. We're at page 837. Let me just take a sip of my coffee here and... Uh, There's about three of three types of audiences out there. Those who want to start watch your communities, those who want to do podcasting, and uh, those who are, are, are interested in this material, and, and I guess all three. Uh, one of our thought processes we kick around is that, you know, what if you're, you're, you're podcasting and no one listens? Well, it's, it's like a voice that uh, into darkness, and we go back to Genesis. What does your father want? It's an act of love, and you're gaining function. So you're, the gain of function happens. I mean, when we started out this podcast, we're reading this book, we couldn't believe this stuff. We couldn't believe that we were unworthy of receiving this information and that it doesn't factor into their, how, how can you, analysis. And we're in a General Motors town here. We're in Flint. And we lived through this. And our own parish was bringing in team building materials from General Motors. Y'all know that General Motors went bankrupt. They had what they call a culture of uh, uh, willful blindness. They just did not want to know. Willful blindness. And so when that happens, uh, just iterations after iteration, you have AC Spark Club, becomes Delphi, becomes this, becomes that. And you can see the things happening. Just see the things happening. And you begin to, if you live it, you begin to see the culture in the community, oftentimes the culture in the subcontractors was better. I mean, they, uh, uh, there's stories about some of the South Koreans coming in and they, they might subcontract and they might have the contract for, to provide uh, 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 wiring for uh, a General Motors plant. And, and these subcontractors take better care of their people, have better common sense uh, during downtimes and good times and bad times then General Motors. So here you have the Catholic Church, who we believe has gone and ordained people who are marginal, who are weak, who are uh, just not the right stuff. 
And they were told back in, uh, in 1961 not to do that. So we're facing that. So there's a happy fault here. I'm going to continue. This is tough stuff. Uh, there is value in simply voicing, giving voice. And why is that? Because if we keep this alive in memory, it cannot. It's like the Shoah, the Holocaust. You can't, you can't exclude people from your memory. The bishop uh, can't ban uh, Engel from your memory. It's like telling fire to lay low against the ground, water not to flow downstream, and uh, you just can't. So there's value in truth. There's value in using your voice, learning to use your voice. So we continue. Uh, and, and the fruit is just amazing, just amazing the amount of people that come out of the woodwork here. Sexual solicitation in the confessional. And there's another thing, perfection. We're reviewing our conscience in order to perfect it. Keep that in mind, that what we do in the collective conscience of the church, you, you, you do individually, and uh, it's presumably revealed to us by God. It's a good thing to review your conscience. So we're reviewing our conscience. Sexual solicitation in the confessional. On May 21, 2002, a sexual abuse lawsuit was filed against the Archdiocese of Louisville, where Bishop Williams had worked as a young priest, the suit was filed in the Jefferson Circuit Court by 33-year-old James W. Bennett. Bennett, a former altar boy, said he was molested when he was 12 by Father Williams at the Church of Our Lady in the Port in the Portland neighborhood. And uh, <coughs> the year, excuse me, the year was in 1981. Bennett said he left the church after the incident and did not know that Williams had been elevated to Bishop of Lexington. Bennett said the priest groped me and kissed me on the mouth. I ran home. I was in shock. Here you are 12 years old and you have never had sex, let alone homosexual sex, he said. It ruined my self-esteem. But now that I've done something about it, it's going, it's going back up. James, James's father, meaning his self-esteem is going back up. James's father, and when they say self-esteem, I'm thinking my experience is that they probably have suicidal ideation, a death wish. There's a lot going on there. Uh, but I'm, that's my implication, or my life experience with working with others, thinking about that self-esteem. James, James's father believed his son's story about the assault and told James he did not, he did not have to go back to church. However, his stepmother, who thought the world of Father Williams, did not believe him, Bennett said. <clears throat> Williams' immediate response to the Bennett charge was a flat-out denial. The allegations are false, he said. Williams claimed he didn't remember the young man and that he had never brutalized anyone in his whole life. He said he would continue to fight vigorously to clear his name. Under the procedural regulations to be followed in sex abuse charges against diocesan clerics, the employees Williams had helped and employees, Williams had helped draft. The bishop placed himself on leave pending the results of an internal investigation. He agreed to refrain from all pastoral ministry, including the public celebration of the Mass, ordinations, and confirmations while the matter was under investigation. Reverend Robert Nieberling, Nieberding, the vicar general of the diocese, was selected as a by a diocesan priest college of consultors as an interim administrator for the Lexington Diocese. Ten days later, on May the 31st, 2002, the second lawsuit against Bishop Williams was filed by 51-year-old David Hall of New Haven, Kentucky. 
Hall said he was 18 years old and a senior at St. Catherine High School in Nelson County in 1969, when during, the, during confession, Williams began asking whether or not he masturbated and demanded details. In his suit, Hall said that he thought Father Williams' questions were so inappropriate he decided not to attend confession again. But he said about a month later, Williams insisted that he do so. And this time, Hall alleges Williams asked him questions about his sexual activity with girls. After Hall said he mentioned that he had been unable to satisfy a girl once, Williams allegedly instructed him to unzip your pants so I can examine your penis, then grabbed and fondled it. Hall said that the memories of abuse at the hands of Williams were all the more painful when he heard people saying what a wonderful Bishop Williams was. Let me pause there for a moment. There's two worlds that are created here. It's my commentary digressing. People are raising the bishop, presuming credibility. Cardinal Vagano says this. There's this presumption of credibility. And that tell him what a wonderful man he was when, he, when in actuality he's a monster. And uh, you'll learn about this as we go on. What comes to mind, and I was talking to Teresa about this, Vimy, V-I-M-Y. And uh, it's a World War, the Battle of Vimy Ridge, where the Canadians turned the tide in the Battle of World War One, And a horrible trench warfare, a horrible, horrible thing going on, things going on there. People, as you're walking in your uh, attack, you have the Canadians in a trench uh, looking at Vimy Ridge. You have the Germans at the high ground and with artillery and machine guns. So it's not expected that Vimy Ridge will ever be overtaken by infantry. And uh, uh, people, uh, when bombs go off, artillery goes off, they are turned into, the guy next to you is turned into just a, a pink mist. So what happens is they, uh, they begin writing about it. And I'm not talking about PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTS. Uh, I think it's PTSD. But what they do is that their story, they are, they are locked in an experience that words cannot convey the experience they've had to others. And that, that experience excludes them from community. They have, uh, and the poets wrote about it. They, soldiers write about it. And it's not a medical condition. It's in, and it could be a medical condition, but they're not talking about that. It's not, it's a reality. It's a phenomenon. And the point that I'm saying is that it's not good enough to say, uh, you know, oh, it's too bad, so sad, this guy gets assaulted by clergy. There's a, a twofold division, uh, a we, they now, where they got the clergy aligning with his credibility, aligning a group in the, in the Catholic faithful, plus the victims. Oh, we'll give you some money and go on your way. Uh, you want to prevent this. That's why we're talking. As Catholics, you're going to progress from faith to action to perfecting your action. You're going to be able to fall in love with God like many other saints if you're willing to do that. And as your love brings you closer and closer, you're going to become humble. Humble by the great saints is submission to the truth. This is truth. It takes a great deal of strength, courage to deal with this. 
Either there is a uh, lobbies of clergy in the church, either there's or they're not. There's homosexual lobbies. There's communist lobbies of people who are advocating. And now there's going to be a, 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 a lay lobby. And we are there. And you can join us with just your voice. And you can, you can go in your own room and you begin talking and, and you can share your voice with others. So here, here, because why? You can't have this. You can't have a World War I trench warfare without having wounds. And the wounds are into the body of Christ. These wounds never heal. They exclude these individuals. They always carry that. And when you begin to use your voice and you begin to be, uh, you realize uh, you get excluded from the parish for speaking truth. You think, oh my God, what, what, what have I been living? And they take my money and they never offer my money back. When you begin to see the reality that's going on, there is a we-they distinction. And, and there is a collective memory that is being destroyed. They would prefer that it not exist. We don't want to know about how we failed in the past. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And you've got the Holy Spirit recording failures. You want to, that's why you want to protect innocence, particularly children. It marks them for life. Again, we're not talking about something that can be measured by medicine. We're talking about wounds in the body of Christ. Wounds that these individuals get excluded. Their own words cannot explain the experience, the feeling, the entire traumatization. And they're locked together in a, in a community that has suffered that, that until death, until death. This part of their life is very difficult. So we speak, we voice, we keep them in our collective memory, and never again. It's just like the Shoah. It's just like the Holocaust. It's the catastrophe uh, that happened. And, and, the, and, the, and the Jewish people, our elder brothers in the faith, come together. And there's a reason why they don't want that forgotten. And I encourage you to use your voice. Use your voice. Let me continue. And then what a wonderful Bishop Williams was. We've experienced that. We've experienced clergy who treat others. Uh, they're like monsters. They're like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And others just look at them and they're, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they wonderful? Hell no, they're not. They should have never been ordained. Uh, they didn't get proper training. They've been retreaded. There's a dual uh, life there, and they continue to hurt people. So we want them. There's something wrong with that. And there's something wrong when you're afraid of being humble. That's submission to the truth. There's something wrong when you're afraid of Randy Engel. Something's not right there by excluding her. Uh, the same day that the Hall lawsuit was filed, the 65-year, I continue on page 838, the same day that the Hall lawsuit was filed, the 65-year-old Williams had a meeting with Archbishop Gabriel Montalvo, the apostolic delegate of Washington, D.C., and submitted his resignation under Canon uh, 400 parens 2, or paragraph 2. A diocesan bishop who, because of illness or some other grave reason, has become unsuited for the fulfillment of his office, is earnestly requested to offer his resignation from office. Williams' resignation took place only two weeks before the American hierarchy met in Dallas, Texas, on June 13, 2002, to discuss the establishment of national guidelines for sex abuse by Catholic priests and religious. Let me digress. Nothing about 
Catholic bishops. Notice that was something about the Dallas Accords that became known. Originally, they didn't exclude, they didn't talk about bad bishops. I continue at page 839. On June the 3rd, 2002, a third lawsuit was filed against Bishop Williams, the Archdiocese of Louisville, by Thomas C. Probus. <coughs> the suit charged Father Williams emotionally abused him in 1981 when he was a 12-year-old at Holy Trinity School. Probus said that Williams engaged in sexually explicit talk with him when the boy came to Williams for advice for family problems. Williams asked him, Have you ever masturbated? It's a wonderful experience, and when you do, uh, it come and tell me all about it. The 33-year-old probus said Williams never touched him impro improperly. It's just words, but it changes the way you think about people in higher places. It makes you think something is wrong with you. It makes you feel ashamed. Let me digress. It's exactly right. There are wounds being created in, uh, and if you, in humans. But more importantly, they're incorporated in the body of Christ. These are the wounds of Jesus Christ. And there are physicians and nurses and hospitals that won't treat these wounds. They act as if they don't exist. And when they, 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 and when they see them, they, they turn away. They cannot look at these wounds. That speaks more about the capacity of the healers, you know, uh, than it does about uh, these victims. Oftentimes, there is no victim. Why? Because I can't heal them. There is, no, uh, uh, there is no outbreak of X, Y, and Z. Why? Because I don't know what to do. How foolish. How absolutely foolish. And that's because we have ordained weak men. We have ordained marginalized men. We have ordained, there's a triplicate three there, weak, marginalized. There was a third flaw about that. I don't remember, but the, it's in the mindset of the church. And we want to keep that memory alive. We want to have a collective memory that you don't want to harm innocents. You don't want to wound it because it carries through all of life. It hurt. It's another wound on Jesus Christ, and it excludes. It creates a we-they distinction, permanent. Money can't heal that. The lawyers can't fix that. You know, and silence doesn't make it go away. You know, hemorrhaging 20%, and in a realignment meeting, they don't even talk about their ask. What about this? 20% the study left the Catholic faith. Your own people said that every five years. And uh, what do we talk about? We talk about how to, uh, uh, how to help the priests. Talk about priests and properties and, and how it's going to help things. You know, realignment. And that's like having a conversation, one uh, person said. It's like having a conversation with your wife and kids and saying, you know, we're going to realign family resources and daddy's going to get everything, all the toys. <clears throat> He's going to get all the excess income, all the best food. And, you know, wife and kids, you're going to be experiencing a wonderful time because daddy's going to be happy. Daddy's going to be more happy. Or, or guess what, wife, kids? The parents, well, Santa this year is going to not give you gifts, but the parents are going to get more gifts. And because the parents are going to be happy, with more stuff, you're going to experience a better life. It's absurd. You know, let's go on. <clears throat> In all three lawsuits, but the remedy is, don't leave that. We're going to, the remedy is these uh, structures, juridical structures that won't allow us to bring in good priests 
from around the world. That's why I say they're Zooming with a, with a Catholic priest that's in both Vietnamese and English now. I'm going to test that, see what's going on. Because you Zoom across the state or you Zoom across the diocese, why can't I Zoom to China? Why can't I Zoom somewhere else? And begin to support churches that are healthy where there's an excess of priests. Why can't I privately fly my guy? Why can't four, 400 of us get together and have a dedicated exile community and fly in a guy who had, can speak English, give us the sacraments, and stay here for a week and we send him back? And, and whatever. We, there are options here that they don't want to talk about because they have juridical walls and they want to keep those walls up. They don't want to share the wealth. They don't want to share the power. And they don't, want to, they don't want to humble themselves to truth. Next, I continue. <clears throat> in all three lawsuits against the Archdiocese of Louisville, not the Diocese of Lexington, the victims charged the diocese with failure to discipline Williams or warn them about him when he worked in Jefferson and Nelson country, country, countries, I think it's counties, between 1969 and 1981. Attorney William McMurray of Louisville, who represented all three accusers of Williams, said that, Although the patience, although the pattern of questioning by Williams of Hall uh, uh, in the confessional and probus during a counseling session was similar, uh, the two plaintiffs had never met each other and never met to discuss the complaints. During the initial stages of these lawsuits, and more than 100 others filed by McMurray against the Archdiocese of Louisville, attorneys for the Archdiocese filed a motion in Jefferson Circuit Court to seal all future documents regarding childhood sexual misconduct. A day later, the Courier-Journal filed a motion to intervene, stating that granting the Archdiocese's request would violate the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. McMurray was critical of the Archdiocesan officials who were attempting to enforce a state law that requires the sealing of sex abuse lawsuits that involve children and are more than, that are more than five years old. The result, Williams' resignation would never have occurred if these allegations and the lawsuits were filed under, under seal, McMurray said. I want you to think about that. Let me have a little sip of coffee here. So true, so true. These men don't think they're wrong. And they have an agenda and they're organized. And you, you know, you're going to waste a lot. You can, I shouldn't say waste. If God calls you that, you, you try to persuade them. It'll take an intervention of God. But right now, I want you to learn how to use your voices. I want you to preserve your life. And I want you to come together and unite as a lobby and a voice that is persuasive and as advocates. That's what that's about. And later on, if they, they convert to Christianity, they convert to the way of Jesus Christ, they get Christ, great. But you want to capture their heart and minds, you do that by grabbing their wallet. They'll follow that. Their heart and mind will follow let me continue at page 4839. Pope accepts William's resignation. On June 11, 2002, John Paul II accepted the resignation of Bishop James Kendrick Williams. The bishop's formal statement of resignation read in part, The last three weeks have been the most challenging of my life. Through agonizing days and sleepless nights, I have thought about the 39 years of my priesthood and the privilege laid upon me. I recognize my shortcomings, but I believe that I have been a good priest and bishop. This makes the allegations against me all the more painful. My letter to Pope John Paul II expressed my belief that this per period of suffering will make me a better, a better person. I do not want my resignation to give my, uh, any credence to the allegations made against me. 
I offered my resignation to the Holy Father, stating that I believe that by my stepping down, the diocese can rid itself of the cloud which hangs over it and me at this time. Since no one knows how long this will last, I believe it is best for me to step down so a new bishop can be appointed as soon as possible. My love for this diocese is absolute. I would lay down my life for it. It has never been my extreme it has been my extreme joy and privilege to serve as your bishop. Whenever the Holy Father appoints the second bishop of uh, appoints the second bishop of Lexington, welcome him with open arms as a successor to the apostles uh, apostles. Be gentle with him and love him as you love me. Is this not the course charter for us by Jesus Christ? Let me continue. Uh, following his resignation, Williams continued to receive support from his fellow bishops and many prominent Catholics and ordinary lay people in the Lexington Diocese. To me, this is so narcissistic. Nothing about hum- It's all about the institutional church. It's about the reputation. Nothing about this is an opportunity to discuss human dignity. He could even say, I'm innocent, but I know many of the individuals out there are suffering from people who are not as innocent as I am. That's one conversation he could have had. And you know what? This is what we're going to do to protect them and, you know, talk to them. Just like I said, you know what? We're going to be able to say to people, human dignity is more important than the human re- than the restoration. And this is why we're going to teach people how to use canon law. We're going to have canon law clubs to teach them how to preserve their voice. They never did that. We're going to teach people how to, how to prevent this uh, and how to come together and form lobbies to improve the situation so that you can you can compete and oppose the clergy lobbies they never did that you know clergy's organizing in formalized groups is something that's probably always been there but it really took impetus after really became more robust after vatican ii when they said look clergy you guys can have a voice form groups well hell they did the guys that were the, the, the worst ones in the crowd began to form groups. They had to because they were weak. They knew they had to because they were uh, marginal. When we talked, they, they couldn't play the violin. They did not have the religious gifts, but they could tell and sell. They're like uh, admin. They knew how to act. And that's what you have. you have. You have good athletes that go into the military. They're not good soldiers, but they're good athletes, and they know how to act. So no warnings, no discussion of human dignity, no saying that the institutional church's reputation is not to be uh, the number one. uh, We're not going to, that's not the number one priority. It's human dignity. It's these wounds. Let me tell you about Vimy Ridge, folks. He never did that. Let me tell you how difficult it is for these people who are forever locked in community that excludes because they have a common memory they can't articulate. Let me tell you how to prevent suicides. Didn't do any of that. Let me continue. Page 840. Following his resignation, Williams continued to receive support from his fellow bishops and many prominent Catholics and ordinary lay people in the Lexington Diocese. Bishop Williams was characterized by his defenders as a kind, generous, personable, and caring individual. Thomas F. Shaughnessy, director of communications for the Diocese of Lexington, said, He's a man who inspires loyalty. Oh, isn't that true? My digression. I continue. Archbishop Thomas Cajunton Kelly said Williams had been a brother counselor and a friend to me for 20 years. He called the Lexington Bishop a great servant of the church and said his leadership 
and achievements will always be a gift to us. May God bring peace to his pastor's heart as he looks to the future. May we always remember the blessings that have come to us through his ministry, Kelly said. Let me, let me digress. This is exactly what we experienced, the Teresa experience. We're waking up. They, they, they praise this guy who uh, his victims are saying are, is a monster. And this is exactly what we see repeated up here in Michigan when they begin, <clears throat> when the, the clergy begin to act out so, so we're laity at this stage in this evolution of this, these clergy wars that are going on. He's talking. This is uh, lay people, children, predominantly, uh, who are responding through a voice which is a lawyer. But all, all of a sudden, it starts to be evolve, and we have a young man who's a priest in Gaylord, who voices his upset. And they throw him under the bus. They take him out of ministry and say, you shouldn't be talking about the fact that, that other clergy are hitting on you. You know, I mean, patent, patent the parts of your body you don't want patted. You shouldn't be talking about that. He gets punished. The bishop, Bishop Rika, gets praised, just like they're praising Williams. What's wrong with these men? And then they ship Rika, who started in my uh, diocese here in Lansing and, and, and uh, in a parish that I'm familiar with, Hey, they, they, they shipped the guy from Gaylord, Rika, down to uh, EW10, Birmingham, and he gets, a, he gets splattered all over the Faith Magazine front page news, and it reminds me of uh, who can orchestrate this? What kind of, and I think of, uh, of this woman, Randy Engel, talking about a, 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 a lobby. Who can get a guy like this on the front page, and, and they just steamroll over Cohen? So they begin to cannibalize Right now, they're praising this bishop friend of theirs, friendship, which they, all the spiritual guys say friendship has to be detached or it will ruin you. It won't bring you to union with God. So he's their friend, and they choose friendship. This is back in, uh, uh, they're talking about uh, uh, Williams being a great guy. When others are saying, oh, no, he's a monster, they do the same thing today. This is still alive, the same ending. And uh, why don't we do a spread on the front page of our magazine where they did Rika, give equal time to the whistleblower, priest. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I'll tell you what. We're lobbying for that. <laughs> and we got several ways to do that. One is whistleblowing. One is doing an ethical will. One is begin to reach out to the clergy that are good clergy in, uh, say, Ireland, Vietnam, Philippines, Cambodia, Mongolia, and start to Zoom. Uh, the Koreans are flying in priests. They're having dedicated uh, parishes, bringing in, start off as pastoral centers. There's lots of options. That's what uh, we'll begin to tell you how canon law, how the, how the mindset of the church is evolving to accommodate your needs, your human dignity, mine, so that the shift is away from the institutional church, away from the needs of priests and property, and towards our needs so that we get the sacrament, so that Jesus is no longer wounded. <clears throat> I continue. Page 840. Since the lawsuit involving Bishop Williams, uh, the lawsuits involving Bishop Williams were still pending, the Sex Abuse Committee of the Lexington Diocese could take no action on the matter in 2002, nor did the committee take any formal inquiries after the cases were settled in 2003. Okay, let me just, the paragraph again. Bishop Williams continues. <coughs> To res uh, 
these are the guys that praise him. Next, next paragraph. Bishop Williams continues to reside, continued to reside in the diocesan residence in Lexington until late December 2002, when he left the diocese and moved to an undisclosed location in the Archdiocese of Louisville. He remains a priest in good standing and holds the formal title of Bishop Emeritus of Lexington. Since the lawsuits involving Bishop Williams were still pending, uh, the Sex Abuse Committee for the Lexington Diocese could take no action on the matter in 2002, nor did the committee make any formal inquiries after the cases were settled in 2003. Uh, that's all self-limiting behavior. That's all um, blindness, willful blindness, and they're just moving on. They're, they're <coughs> These are people who live off the church, they live, they have this idea that the institution is more important than any individual, which is contrary to the church's teachings. And they don't talk about human dignity. They don't talk about wounds on Jesus Christ. They don't talk about how to heal these wounds. It's all about perpetuating themselves. So I leave you with that. We'll continue at page 840, pick up Archbishop Thomas C. Kelly settles lawsuits on our next podcast. And, uh, Check out our, our uh, watcher websites. We're growing and uh, we're leaps and spurts and bounds. And so it's not consistent because we're spreading thin. We could use some support, but pick up your own. Uh, uh, begin to use your voice. Begin in prayer uh, and uh, just begin to ask questions. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.